I'm Chad Rothermond. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And welcome to No Clip Pocket. It's not what you sell, it's about what you stand for. Today, we're going to be talking about The Beginner's Guide, uh, which was released on PC and computer platforms, I'll say, in 2013 and was developed by Davey Reedon. Uh, Davey Reedon, most people would be... If you were familiar with the name Davey Reedon, it is likely because he is the person behind the Stanley Parable, uh, which is a, at this point, talk-to-death uh, indie game from, uh, I think, a couple years prior. I think it came out in like 2010 or 2011, uh, in which he attempts to bend sort of like the traditional video game like narrative formula by just taking a very small area and giving you a huge number of paths to go through in the beginner's guide Reden has made a single path with a whole bunch of different i mean the narrative conceives that they're games but like a lot of different small areas with different mechanic sets to work through so it's very different in the same way that Stanley Parable is, but it is different in a, also a different way. <laughs> yeah, they have very different focuses, but they're both very meta concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, the Stanley Parable feels like more of a sandbox, and this feels like more of a prescribed narrative thing. Yeah. Uh, both are narrative games, but the defining feature of the Stanley Parable is the way that you could branch the narrative. Whereas with the Beginner's Guide, it is more uh, like it's a set narrative, and it's more of what you can take from it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like an exploration, I would say, of like the game narrative and mechanical idea, except it's it's very narrative focused, so it even abstracts the game part of it outside to the point where it's talking about the development of the games as you're going through it yeah it's very much a game developers game yeah uh in a way the same way that like the magic circle is where it's like this is a game that's like kind of about game development but it's more of a personal narrative than that yeah yeah and it's one of the first things he talks about is how he uh davy met this guy named coda at a game jam so Mm -hmm. it has that kind of I met this other game developer and, you know, we interacted uh, through this guy's games. Who he, like, only ever refers to by his, like, internet handle, essentially, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a whole other thing that, like, I think coming in with no knowledge of games, would this would be, like, the most unreadable thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I had plenty of knowledge of games. I knew nothing about this game. Mm. I actually didn't even know it was this old either. I thought it was more recent than that. Um, but I went in totally blind and fell for the premise like pretty hard for a decent chunk of the game. Uh, it's a lot like um, the movie The Fourth Kind, where I went in not knowing anything about it and kind of fell for the shtick. Mm-hmm. And then in retrospect, it felt like it should have been really obvious the whole time that it wasn't real. When you said fell for there, I'm going to be honest, and I assume that you meant in love with, not oh, no. was tricked by. I was I was tricked by, not in love with. Uh, but no, I totally like bought the narrative conceit here. And I was like, I was wondering, I was pretty sure you knew the whole time that it wasn't a real thing. Yeah. 
So I was curious as to like what that experience is like. Yeah, so I actually, so the reason that I got this game in the first place, uh, I did not know it came out much like seemingly, I, I mean, admittedly I was a little bit disconnected from the indie space when this came out. Like I was playing games, but then also I was in school and school took up a lot of my time. So I didn't end up playing uh, like everything that I heard of. Um but I was made aware of this game, or at least was made aware that it was something worth looking into, listening to Davey Reardon himself talk about it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was on uh, Designer Notes, Steve Gaynor's podcast, uh, that he does, he does an interview with him. And Davey Reardon seems like the most like genuine, cool dude, when he at least when he gives interviews. Like I, I'm not going to make any claims about the actual dude, but... Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't know, like having hearing him describe the game and how it sort of like came about and why it was made and all that stuff uh, was very cool. And so I looked into it. So I did know that Coda is not a real person and the game is there to tell this like personal, like very down to earth story before going in. But I didn't know the contents. Mm-hmm. Is it inspired by anything? Not that real? I'm aware of. Okay. Other than like. I think, like, the idea of making games professionally weighing on people, uh, being, like, a, a theme in this game, is something that uh, probably inspired the actual narrative. Because you hear a lot about, like, the, the games industry, in development specifically, has, like, some of the highest turnover of professions, because it's just a very stressful job to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, like, being an indie developer and having, like, a smash breakout hit with the indie, or with the, the Stanley Parable, the indie Parable, <laughs> which I'm sure is the coming soon to Netflix documentary about the follow-up to Indie Game, the movie. Uh, but having a big, like, smash hit like that probably put a lot of pressure on him, which... To make something else. Yeah, and so this was probably a response to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... We, I kind of uh, mentioned it already, but the basic idea of the game is it's presented as Davey narrates it, uh, and I think he gives a surprisingly natural-sounding performance for someone who isn't, like, a voice actor, to my knowledge. Right. Um, and he's he's the setup is that he met this guy named Coda at, like, a game jam or whatever, and he showed him his games and he thought they were really interesting and they like stood out to him. So he wanted to become friends with him and like, you know, play his games, like little prototypes and everything. And the idea is that Davey compiled them all and is like putting them out as a collection that he's doing like commentary on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and as I said, not knowing anything about it, it seems genuine, but uh, on a replay, because we played it again before uh doing this uh i like the foreshadowing that's in there from like the very beginning mm-hmm. um how davy is willing to like change things about the games to like suit his own idea of what they're supposed to be right. and it's something that goes completely over your head the first time mm-hmm. like um how he like makes you be able to go regular speed up the stairs and uh oh and solving the maze where he's like he got you got to the end and you got to the beam of light and it shot you in the air yeah and he 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 gives a whole spiel on what he thinks it means and like 
and he makes a statement that like when you got there the first time that happened and it was a mistake which seems like conjecture yeah and you know there's a lot of clues in there that what's going on isn't like a genuine story yeah there's an argument to be made even that within the fiction of the of the game, which I think we can just assume from here on out, anytime that we discuss this kind of a thing, when we're talking about Davy Reed and we're talking about fictionalized Davy and not yeah, real Davy, yeah. uh, there's a there's a difference between like the things that he'll change and tell the player about versus the things that he doesn't. So like the lamp posts and things go unnoticed, but then the uh, he does call out like, "Oh, the game killed you," and it's not even because he he describes it as a mistake, like you said. But it's not even necessarily clear if that if the raising through the roof thing ever actually happened or if that's something that he himself inserted. Yeah. Uh, potentially he tried to, like, build out that game that did exist and he was not as good, like, as talented and mm-hmm. was unable to make it work. And so he's now putting his own thing in and saying, like, this is the deep meaning that he meant for this game uh yeah i don't know it's fascinating in that way like uh the but playing it through again is an experience like if you've played this game once uh go play it a second time because like it's so much more menacing the second time Mm, around like you pick up more on what he's doing yeah it's not the best comparison but it's almost like watching shutter island a second time and like knowing what's going on it's Mm -hmm. it's very different and it's still enjoyable Mm -hmm. in a completely uh yeah different way um but uh i feel like the game this is just my own kind of personal uh feelings on it and i want to get your take I feel like the game shows its hand either, I don't know, like too early or like, I feel like they should have Blair witched this <laughs> and tried to make it as believable as possible and then have the realization that the story is like a fabrication be like a secret. Like, take some inspiration from the Stanley Parable mm-hmm. and have a section where you can, like, break out of the boundaries of the map and then you can find the secret level that has the messages on the walls like right. that are, like, quit putting lampposts in my game. Like, I was just thinking about that. Like, as an idea, I think this sits in a weird spot. Um where like I don't know how like wh- I feel like the fact that it that it just plays out as a regular narrative kind of dampens it a little. Yeah. And if the fact that he's made up a lot of the stuff he's told you was more of a a secret, I think that would enhance it. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with that. So, I have I think there's like one thing that I want to like hone in on which is the first 99% of this game is really good for a different reason that the last 1% is good. I think that it's like separately great <laughs> where if you played through this game and didn't have the tower, like the last level where uh, sort of like the, the, like you say, the hand is played, um, then you end up with this very interesting like sequence of things with 
uh, Reden's like impeccable narration going over it, where you are actually wondering, you know, like you want to know what Coda is, like what is he thinking, what is he doing, do these mean anything, or is there a connection? And those are the sort of like mysteries that are are rattling around in your tiny little brain as you <laughs> c- approach the closing. But the thing about the end of the game is, is it is a plot twist mm-hmm. because there isn't a whole lot that's leaked into the early parts of the game to clue you in. I, I think that if there was better foreshadowing, not necessarily better in like a objectively good but like something that was easier to pick up on to know that maybe something was wrong not with coda but with davy right then you could get away with hiding the ending yeah i feel like it's maybe a little bit too long as well as it is now because i think even if you go in blind by the time you get to the end you're probably already thinking like there's no way this is real. Like right. there'd be all kinds of legal things or you'd be like a horrible person <laughs> for doing all this without the person's permission. Mm-hmm. You know, like it gets you, it, it, it goes on a little too long that you start to think about all of the implications of this in the real world. And, but I don't know if they really want you to believe it's real or not. If, I, mean, I don't know really what the intent is, but like personally, I think it would be better if they played it straighter and then they had the twist as a secret. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that the game, the conceit of the game is such that you have to assume that they want you to think that what is going on is real. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where you should be able to appreciate it, mm-hmm. whether or not you know, but the experience would be different just inherently. Uh Similarly, like, going into Blair Witch. Like, watching Blair Witch thinking that you're watching somebody actually filming themselves in the woods is a very different experience than watching a scripted movie. And the fact that this is potentially... Like, even... Just spool back and, like, imagine... Like, because the thing that is there, that exists, is real and can happen. Like, you could take a bunch of tiny games, string them together, and do commentary over it. And that would be a real thing that is possible and is cool as shit and is not really a thing that we see. Uh, So already interesting. Going in thinking that's what it was is fascinating by itself. The fact that it's fictionalized is almost like set dressing at that point because you have this very cool thing and then the wrapper around it is this narrative. And even though it is a narrative-based game, the narrative is probably what most people would say is the most important part, mm-hmm. I find the execution to also be worthy of its own sort of, like, recognition, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like it as it is. I just can't help but think about how it could be stronger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would like to see this done for real no yeah i like that you touched on that because i I have that in my notes that this feels like a really clever premise um like with even without the narrative uh like a a clever use of art assets and a clever use of like for small game ideas that you might not know what to do with like Mm -hmm. this just played as like a dev diary where you string all your little prototypes of games together and you talk over it Mm -hmm. 
about your design process is a good one just on its own. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's like, uh, cause they, they talk like explicitly about the source engine in the game. Mm-hmm. It's like something that people are generally familiar with, but it also like gives context to the way that the game is programmed and the fact that like these things can all exist together because theoretically if you made a bunch of things in a bunch of different engines the game would chug pretty hard trying to get them all to run mm-hmm. if uh, it even could yeah like depending on yeah the compatibility of everything but the way that it's made is really interesting in its own right and yeah i'd love to, like if somebody made like several prototypes for something and then recorded their and let you actually play it like that's a whole other fucking world uh, it's for people who are interested in game design mm-hmm. uh i feel like those people might be somewhat disappointed by this <laughs> game if, that, if they thought it was real but uh <laughs> yeah it feels kind of like um special features on like uh like the lord of the rings or something mm-hmm. that's all about the making of those movies but for games and i feel like there's definitely a market for that like valve used to do this they used to put like little commentary bubbles that you could turn on in their games like they did it around like the left for dead era because uh, i remember going through they're fucking amazing like uh i think amnesia added it at some point and i've been meaning to go back through and play it with the commentary on but haven't mm-hmm. it is real but i want it more right <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about, so I, I mentioned that the narrative is personal, and I don't think that the narrative being personal, I think, re- reflects on Davy. I mean, just like it's a, it's an, it's told by one person. There's only one real character in this story, um, which is kind of unique. This is almost like a second person game where you are acting in the world and technically driving the action by moving from beat to beat, mm-hmm. but you don't. You are not a character. You are you. You are right. the you are whoever you are in real life, and Davy is the only character who's speaking to you and about someone else. So it's it's very interesting in that way, um, but because of that, like the narrative res- revolves around Davy, both because it's from his point of view and also because. He's the only person there that you can actually like glean any information from outside mm-hmm. of the physical game itself, which is worth noting. But uh, <laughs> hold on, now I, I like added way too many parentheticals <laughs> to that. <laughs> I've now lost my train of thought. Uh, oh yeah, I don't want to dive too far into interpretation, mostly because I don't want to sound stupid (laughs) like you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) right yeah but like there's an element of metaphor to this and i love the way that the game plays with it so like you're given this puzzle that comes up the puzzle Mm -hmm. where you go through a door enter a middle space then turn around and hit the switch on the other door to open the door in front of you Mm -hmm. so and the puzzle repeats itself whether it actually is in all of these games or if Davy has reinserted this is unclear, but I love that the game introduces it to you. He's like, here's a puzzle. See if you can figure it out. And you do, you figure it out and you move on. He's he'll, like, he'll tell you the answer if you take too long. Okay. Yeah. So you do whatever it is. Uh, and, but you get through the puzzle and he's like, that was a cool puzzle. You'll see it again. 
and then you play a few more games and he and the puzzle shows up again he's like what do you think it means and then he proceeds to just tell you what he thinks it means so there's this element of metaphor where the the puzzle is in the game and it's like you can have your interpretation of it immediately if you think it is something worth thinking about Mm -hmm. but then he explicitly asks you and then gives you his interpretation making it like the answer and it's it's i think that that albeit a metaphor in itself is a metaphor for sort of how the whole game plays out where it's like here's all of the work and then davy is forcing his own interpretation on it to you mm-hmm. and you have no agency in the matter yeah it could be it, it kind of almost feels like a like a metaphor for like game design in general right because you're presented with a puzzle in a game and you have the opportunity to like figure it out but in the end there's only the one right answer right i yeah i can see that and like there, there's a lot of like sub theme sort of like meshing in with this mm-hmm. uh like the the lamppost is in, is supposed to be interpreted metaphorically and dave even of course gives is right there with his explanation of why it is metaphorical and it is the same reason that people use light posts in game development largely where it's like they use these things that emanate light because they draw your attention and they draw you to them and then he gives a metaphorical reason for it and then puts it artificially in all the games so i just i really love that element of the narrative where it's like davy's interpretation overriding like Mm -hmm. what is actually there and you having to like actually going along with it because he's the voice of authority it's not until the end of the game that you know Maybe he isn't. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it feels like a one-sided discussion mm-hmm. where it almost kind of feels like a like a book club style thing where he's inviting you to think about uh, what's presented. And then before you can really think about it too much, he cuts you off with the, the right answer. Mm-hmm. And it, that is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it's just really cool storytelling. Uh, and then you have the other, like x factor of coda and like not actually really knowing if uh davy's interpretation is even right yeah but as it goes you start to just accept what he tells you Mm -hmm. and then even coda gets a voice a little bit at the end but it's very accusatory it's very sort of like like coda doesn't seem blameless in this really it's just sort of that davy is insane and Mm -hmm. coda is like just like hey leave me alone right it's a very normal response but like it it's not like uh the it's not therapeutic in the way that you like want it to be as closure right uh but yeah that's that's really that's what i have to say on the narrative i feel like when people play this game it probably makes them feel different things yeah i find the story telling like the way that they actually tell the story to be really fascinating uh, and I find the story overall to be, like, pretty sad. And that's about yeah, where I'm at with no, it. <laughs> definitely. On, like, both... For both parties. Mm-hmm. You know, like, nobody really gets what they want or anything like that. Yeah. And he never told me what the three dots mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's something both playthroughs I had noticed 
in like one or two levels that there were like three dots. Mm-hmm. It's but on then, the machine. Yeah, it's but like then the big one. yeah, but then just totally forgot. And then when I read that note, uh, or when he he says it in the narration. Yeah, yeah. Like Coda won't tell me what the three. Please tell me what the three dots mean. Uh, and then I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like that's something that I feel like was maybe a little too subtle. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, even if it's supposed to have a meaning, like, I don't actually know. Yeah. But no, it's a really enjoyable experience. Yeah, it's it's very unique, and it that kind of ties into what I was talking about before. It's just, like, it's a very unique premise. It's got a unique dynamic, and it, that just, it just, like, tickles that part of my brain that makes me think, like, how would I tell this kind of story? Uh, which is why I was, like, critiquing it earlier. Yeah. Probably not like this for me. <laughs> no, yeah. It seems it seems pretty far outside of 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 my box. Mm-hmm. Do we have final thoughts? <laughs> um. So, as we mentioned uh, in the beginning, this is from the same developer as the Stanley Parable, and I like the Stanley Parable quite a bit. And I like this game too, but they're, as we said, very different. Uh, But I think they're both just as interesting. I think that this guy uh, is probably like an underrated or underappreciated developer. I, I feel like his games are... Like a lot of there's a lot lots said about indie games and like particular developers about how they like are able to take a focused premise or do something different that a AAA studio wouldn't do, uh, and I feel like this Davy Reedon is like one of the better examples of that. Like he does it really successfully and is actually doing different stuff, and. For the most part, I think he's been really successful with it. I think both of these feel like high-minded premises that Mm -hmm. could be, like, masturbatory or (laughs) uh, kind of fall on their face in the hands of somebody else. But he actually turned them into something really interesting and worth playing to anybody that's, like, interested in games. I feel like the casual player might not like this stuff as much, but... If you spent any kind of significant amount of time playing games, I think you would like this a lot. And, uh, yeah, I think those are my final thoughts. It's for the hardcore only. Yeah. Casual babies keep out. Only for pro elite gamers. (laughs) Uh, no, yeah. Uh, I also want to mention the Stanley Parable in my final thoughts and don't want to compare them too much because I feel like this game probably lives in its shadow a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but what I want to say is basically, I actually like this game a little bit more than the Stanley Parable. Uh, it's a lot easier to sort of like immerse yourself and, and drive uh, a linear narrative in a game like this. And I just enjoyed the story it was telling a lot. Stanley Parable has a lot of sort of like, go around here, do this, do this part over again, do it, but with this little twist. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to discover things for a while, but, like, you're not getting... At no point do you really feel like you get, like, the full experience. It and, doesn't feel like it ends. Yeah. And I kind of like the conclusion. And, I mean, arguably that's kind of the point of the Stanley Parable, but uh, also 
whatever this game's cool uh <laughs> i think my uh my, my actual final thoughts on the game itself are they managed to take games that by themselves would have been interesting uh and spin them together in a way to make like a a, a play experience that while simple is intriguing and then added voiceover a la Bennett Foddy in Getting Over It, where you get, like, insight from the person actually making it, whether or not that's, like, through narrative or through subtext or through direct speaking, uh, and that all of that just, like, kind of comes together into this nice, really neat package that sounds shockingly casual for what the eventual like darkness inside is mm-hmm. and we didn't even mention like the uh the stage or the uh like the the cool like landscapes and stuff like the weird dreamscapes that he plays with yeah there's a nice variety of l- little locations mm-hmm. and it's like some of uh, maybe this is a personal thing more than like just a genuinely good thing for most people but i love those like nonsensical landscape indie steam games and i've played dozens of them and and just like that aesthetic a lot so eight out of ten (laughs) (laughs) ign.com mind blown (laughs) thank you for listening to no clip pocket this week what are we talking about next time uh, I think after the past few episodes of No Clip Pocket, I've been having an existential crisis over the fact that we call this series No Clip Pocket and haven't talked about a handheld game since, like, October. <laughs> so, uh, next time, we're talking about Harvest Moon on the... It was a basic-ass Game Boy, right? It's a Game Boy Color game. Okay, Game Boy it, Color. It's, a, like, a remake. Okay. So, we're playing the remake... Game Boy Color Harvest Moon. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, And until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro. There you can find links to our YouTube, our Twitter, our email if you'd like to contact us directly, uh, and our Discord where you can join in all of the cool discussion that we have. We just put up our 2019 year review awards ceremony uh which is a great amazing piece of art that we've created uh so check that out and uh find out who has the smashies balls yeah spoiler alert it's that wolfer from god of war (laughs) uh (laughs) uh, and then talk about it in the episode discussion channel and smash that like (laughs) button just bottoming uh, out the mic see, real quick. On, on this page, I was thinking that Coda meant for you to smash that like button. Uh, that's an interesting interpretation because I feel like the first door represents the like button. It's like you watch the video and you enjoy it, so you press the like button. Right, and but then through. the space in between is kind of like the comment section. Yeah, and that's where you realize that the community for the Noclip podcast is great too. So you turn around to go back to look for more videos, and what do you see? Is that a subscribe, subscribe button. button? And you smash it, <laughs> and you smash which it. opens the door behind you. Right. Which leads to the bell to join the notification squad. <laughs> Coda always ended his levels with a bell. <laughs>
right, that's my favorite one in like a year. <laughs> I'll murmur those sweet, 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 